0: Welcome to Unconventional Thinkers. My name is Kawan Saluja. On this episode, we speak with Sherry Huber. Sherry has been a student and teacher of Zen for over 35 years and the author of over 20 books, including There Is Nothing Wrong With You and How You Do Anything Is How You Do Everything. Among the topics we cover include self-hate, where does it come from, her path to Zen Buddhism, what recording and listening is, and tools to access that still small voice inside of us. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Sherry Huber. Well, thank you uh, for joining us, Sherry. Um, You have written um, several books um, and I was just, you know, we're mentioning to you, I could probably interview one per book. Um, (laughs) We could do that. Yeah, but uh, I guess I (laughs) want to talk about uh, everyone's favorite uh, subject, um, self-hate and where that comes from.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, that's a big one. And I don't know if you know this, but it is not all that. Um, it, now, I can't say it hasn't been around all that long in this culture. Certainly, it's been a lot around as long as there have been human beings, we guess, but people have not been familiar with it. I think I can't remember when we wrote There's Nothing Wrong With You, but, you know, like in the middle 80s or something like that. And uh uh there 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 was nothing. <laughs> there was nothing culturally, uh, that was talking about this. And since then, of course, it's really uh kind of caught on. Uh not it again, self hate has always been very popular with uh ego, but uh it, it's something that that the culture is familiar with. So teachers and and therapists and um, even doctors, uh, medical doctors who you know, aren't known for delving into that kind of thing, um, are, are, are very familiar with it now. And we see um, the connection between uh, the unhappiness in people's lives, the depression that people experience, and then, of course, even uh, physical medical conditions. Uh, that are a result of living in that kind of uh, inwardly focused uh, hatred. People will say, oh, Sherry, 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 you you get extreme in your language sometimes. You know, I'm a little hard on myself, but hatred? But when people start really paying attention and listening to it, they realize, yeah, that is hateful. Um, it- and, and with that, one of the, if somebody says, oh, I don't think I have that going on, I just encourage them to listen to how the voice in their head talks to them and then ask themselves, would you would you say those things to a child that you care about? And pretty much uniformly, people say, oh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say that to my dog, let alone to another human being. And yet uh, it's uh, very common for people and so many people. Sadly, sadly, the saddest thing of all is they believe it's the voice of God talking to them. They believe that it's what makes them a good person, that without all of that um, negativity and uh, being chastised and reprimanded all the time, they would just, you know, go off into um, being lazy and indulgent and uh, self-serving and that sort of thing.
0: What... uh... You know, and and for some, you know, for, for uh, people who have that belief, like, you know, that, you know, negativity actually helps people get stuff done or keeps them, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes that I don't think work um, in society, but what, how can you like, you know, reverse that or, you know, when you're just like, oh, well, that's, that's just the way I get stuff done. And who would I be without it? I mean, I think sometimes, uh, you know, that it's like change is scary for the better or the worse sometimes.
1: A- yeah well it is you're absolutely right and and in Buddhism, we have a, a little saying that i I think is helpful, and that is, we'll change when we've suffered enough so i I've never proselytized ever I mean we don't even advertise, right uh, because this stuff is just too hard it 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 really is I mean you really have to, as you say, you have to want to change. You have to be deeply motivated to change because if you're not, it's just not going to happen. And then that is going to be used against you. Right. Um, so see, see how you are. And, and you, you won't even make an effort to change. You you know what to do. You know how, how to be different and, and you you won't do it. You're just, you're just weak. You're just lazy. You're just whatever it is. So, uh, so when a person wants to let's just start out with that as our basic premise a person a person really is is tired of their life not working okay and so if they ask me about it the first thing i would do is encourage them to listen to what goes on in their head not to try to change it or fix it but really to listen to it hear it and then ask yourself uh if somebody else were talking to you that way, would you feel motivated or would you feel demoralized? Because fear is actually not a good um, incentive, right? So so you can threaten to beat somebody and you can probably get them to work, um, <laughs> but the quality of it is not going to be good, right? Because, uh, the whole process is just awful. So yes, people believe that punishment is what makes you good. Uh, and negativity is what keeps you going. Uh, but you know, that very famous, uh, donkey and the carrot, you know, it's a carrot. It's not, it's not the stick. That's going to beat the donkey. Right. So we, all of us, I mean, we're just, we're deeply, um, responsive to positive which is why and this is something that is a very big part of our our spiritual practice that isn't a big part of a lot of others and that is the focus on what we call egocentric karmic conditioning self-hate right and the, it's that whole um personality complex it's uh you know in eastern philosophy it's it's the illusion Of being able to be separate from life, which is how most conditioned people experience themselves. You know, it's I'm I'm me. You're you. We're really different. And let's now establish exactly how different we are. And by the way, what we disagree about and what we don't like about each other. There's a lot of cultural conditioning um, that is is acceptable that keeps that illusion of being separate from life alive now that that premise we don't have to step back very far to look at it and see it's ridiculous. Of course we can't possibly be separate from life. if we're separate from life we call that dead okay so we are intimately connected with all of life in every way um, and so if we if we realize our interconnectedness with life, then we start coming from a place that is um not so resistant, not so defensive, not so okay? and we have a growing sense of who we really are, that authentically our our true nature, our true authentic nature, um, then you go wherever you want to go with it, you know, it's it's kindness, it's love, it's uh it's universal caring, it's God, it's you know, however you want to uh think about that but that that is what we actually are not this ego that has been conditioned into existence from early childhood no put that down stop that I told you no, nope. no don't do that no that is wrong you are in your case a bad boy right and so by the time we all you know, get through um what, junior high school, grade school? I mean, it's really well established that there's something profoundly wrong with us and that what we need to do is try to compensate for that, cover it up, get past it, deny it, hide it, medicate it, drug it, whatever we need to do uh, in order not to have to live in that place. And it's, it's the whole thing is completely unnecessary because there is a way not
0: to suffer like that yeah i mean, I mean that's what i really um kind of liked about your work and uh, you know one way about uh medicating i think because you were talking about being aware and i just feel like in, in this society there's a lot of like busyaholic almost so you know which oh yeah busy makes- and urgent right right which makes it harder, I think, to be aware of like, you, you know, it's almost like speaking a different language. Like, Oh, you mean, you want me to oh, look at my thoughts that I thought? Absolutely. Was-
1: yes, absolutely. It It is a different language. And so uh, busyness and urgency keeps the person in their head. So even in our very, um, what, I don't know, conditioned, egocentric self-hating culture, um, we differentiate between the head and the heart. Wow. I mean, most most people who are paying any kind of attention at all have a sense of the difference in those two and and know what is, uh, you know, so if people want to sell something and they're not using sex to sell it, then uh, they want to use little kids and puppies and kittens and things that, that cause people to be in touch with their heart, right? So it's a hallmark, of course, it's made, kajillions off of love. right. And selling love in that, in that way. Um, So we know the difference and we know that in, in our society, most of us live in our head. You know, we're just in there in a conversation. People wake up in the middle of the night. I call it the icy uh, hand around the spine, you know, with the fear and anxiety about what I didn't do and what's going to happen with this and how, how am I going to do that? And what if, Right. And then wake up in the morning into the into. OK, what is today? All right. What, what do I need to do? All right, I need to take care of that. I need to do that. So the worry and the anxiety and, of course, because we're <laughs> we are the way we are, there's they're just, again, kajillions of dollars being made off of treating uh, medicinally all of those conditions. So we have an anti- anxiety medication and we have antidepressants and we have, you know, a- a- everything in the world to take care of what's happening to the poor body when it's required to live in those states. Right. And so then the person just jumps out of bed and, and uh, you know, races out into the day with that just driven. So what do you do when you're driven like that? You've got so much to do and you're so busy and how are you ever going to get it done? Well, you. Yeah, Usually you're going to need quite a bit of caffeine and probably a good dose of sugar. Um, and then, of course, you, you know, you don't feel well and you gain weight and that which is another epidemic in our society. And so it's just it's it, it's awful. And as I and people think it's their fault. That's the other thing that's so awful about it. Right. We touched on that a little bit ago. You know, if you were the right person, if you were just stronger, if you were just you know, if you were just different, which we've been hearing since we were two years old, then all of this would work for you. No, it wouldn't. It doesn't work for anybody. But we have to get to that point of realizing, you know what, and and this is why in in Zen, my, my deal, I, I kid people that we, we rarely get anybody before the age of 40. And the people that we get are above 40. They're successful. Uh. By and large, they're financially secure. Um, And what has happened to them is they've done they've done all of that and they got everything that they were promised from doing all of that. And they're really unhappy. And so now they want to know, okay, (laughs) all right, I got the house. I got the second house, got the kids to college, got the you know, how 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 can I be happy? It's a good place to start.
0: Yeah. However,
1: however, in case you're not in that age group, you don't have to wait until then. And there's nothing about being happy that keeps you from being successful. It is perfectly possible. People think, okay, well, as soon as I get the financial stuff taken care of, as soon as I get all of that, well, then I'll then I'll then I'll focus on being happy. No, be happy now. And then all of that other stuff will happen for you it'll just be a lot easier and you'll enjoy it more
0: yeah I mean that's that's so powerful because I was I was thinking about uh you know and I can say even in my experience about compartmentalizing life you know I'll take care of that mm-hmm. I'll take care of that happiness yep. you know that you know that thing about successful people will be happy where it's really happy people when <laughs> in my moments of clarity it's like happy people are will be successful like works the other way actually and confusing it,
1: it actually does it actually does. And I'll tell you the other thing that that people are conned about that works the other way. And that is that if you're present, if you're not in your head with all that, oh, my God, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. If you're not doing that, you'll be more productive, more efficient, more effective than you can even imagine. People who are present are are highly productive. And again, they're happy.
0: Right um what now you mentioned uh zen buddhism i would like to get into your uh journey and how you got into this work um and like you said i think correct me if i'm wrong you've written 20 books um
1: i think we're up to 25 now but wow. um yeah i think the last one was number 25 24 25 something like that um yeah and um and <laughs> we haven't Uh, I haven't done any in a while. I say we now because I mentioned to you we brought on this wonderful, incredible human being uh, named Ashwini Narayanan who um, has done the last four books, I think it is, with me, or five books or something like that. And we just haven't done any more because we've been focused on these other things since the – well, anyway, I won't – your politics, uh, your audience, is probably not too – upset about somebody's political orientation but a lot of people in our sangha were very upset uh, when the previous administration was elected Um, extremely upset and depressed and frightened and all those sorts of things and so we started doing a regular radio show so five days a week we do a call-in radio show where we talk about you know life and love and and how to be present and all of that sort of thing Um, and so we've been focused a great deal on that, and then through the pandemic um assisting people uh who were you know locked down <laughs> and, and isolated and that sort of thing so our our practice has become super uh virtual and uh connected in that way, so probably um coming out of that, we'll get back to writing books. but right now we're we're doing this other thing. What was your question? <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, I, it, yes, it's all coming back to me. Uh, so the way this happened for me is exactly what we were talking about a little bit ago. I really did get to the point of having suffered enough. Wow. Uh, when, I, when I was uh, really young, like I can remember being 13 and looking around, and I'm old, okay, keep that in mind. I'm really old. So the world, when I was 13, was a really, really, really different place than it is now. Um, and I I can remember looking around at the world and thinking, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. You know, there's so much that happens in the world that, uh, so much suffering that happens in the world that people can't do anything about, you know, uh, but then there's so much suffering that we cause that people, people do to one another and, and do to creatures and, uh, that sort of thing. I, I just thought, it, it's just a really cool uh, reality. So I thought. And uh, and it didn't get a lot better <laughs> as I grew up. And uh, so by the time I was about 25, I just thought, oh, I, don't, I really don't want to be here any longer. And I actually attempted suicide. Now, later on, you know, one of our my books, uh, early books was on depression. And And I realized that I was depressed and that I come from a depressed family and, you know, all kinds of uh, things that go with that. But it didn't that actually didn't change my outlook, realizing that the way the world is depressed me, uh, I kind of I kind of thought was just sort of intelligent. Um, But I when I didn't succeed in my suicide attempt, the uh the the surgeon who operated on me walked in and said no one should survive what you just went through i would suggest that you figure out why you're here and turned on his heel and walked out and he changed my life not by being such an excellent surgeon and sewing me all back up again but by that that uh, thing because as i lay there recovering i thought um huh you know, I, 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 at age 25, the ripe old age of 25, I thought, you know, I've, I've tried everything I know how to do, but I've never tried being happy. So that became my, my uh, quest. And then uh, coming out of that, I, I studied uh, on my own, um, you know, everything I could find on philosophy, thinking some, God, somebody must have an answer to what's going on here. And then I went into religion, and I was lucky. I feel I was very lucky. I was raised in a completely neutral, non-religious family, so I had no preconceived notions about anything. That I was just going through trying to find the thing that that I resonated with. And the last thing, this is true, the last book that I picked up was called What is Zen by a guy named D.T. Suzuki, and that was it. I was in love, and um, I've never
0: never wavered wow um and what are some of the tools i mean um and you know including you know the meditation that has has been you know impactful for you i think there was also um was it recording and listening as well um so i was just you know how how this looks on a day-to-day basis for you know, I, yeah. I remember listening to you and you said, awareness never takes a day off or something like that. And uh, that's exactly right. Um, for some yep. people. Yep.
1: That, that, was my, that was my teacher, uh, right? He, he said, uh, uh, you know, awareness never takes a day off, never has a vacation. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> it's really true. And the thing about it is we're always aware of something right? So we just want to make sure of what we're aware of. So for the first, uh, you know, decades uh, that I that I was practicing, uh, it's true, you know, people would ask me about practice and, and I would teach them how to meditate. And Oh well, gosh, are you a meditator? I don't want to put you on the spot. Anyway, meditation is never going to be popular. It just isn't. It takes so much awareness practice to appreciate meditation and people start out with it right and it's just backwards so i mean back when the you know the buddha was doing it and then for eons after that that's all people had right Right. and uh so then i can't i can't even remember i thought it was at one point and then somebody came up to me and said i i said something and they said you know I listened to a talk you did 10 years ago and you were talking about recording and listening. So the way it started for me is actually with uh, There's Nothing Wrong With You because I thought, you know, I wish I could make recordings that would tell people who they really are and then they could listen to that all day long instead of the garbage that they're listening to in their head, that negativity that that's all about Telling them that they are what they're not, and making them feel bad and guilty and frightened, and and then a <laughs> moment of clarity, and thought, oh my God, you know that's a fast way to go to jail. You can't be you can't be brainwashing people, even if you're brainwashing them with good stuff, right? And so that's when I started talking to people about uh, making their own recordings and um, and beginning to listen not to positive thinking. that's a really important piece of it, not to positive thinking, but listening to what's really actually true, because there's so much more in life that is good than is bad, so much more that's positive than negative, so much more that's working than is not working, that those voices in the head have to work really hard to come up with the negativity. And sadly, they're really good at it, right? And so when we begin to replace that negativity with what's true, so if if you and I were, you know, if I were encouraging you in this direction, I would say for you to make recordings about what you love, about what makes you happy, what lights you up, what you enjoy, what you appreciate. And it can include music that you love or, you know, <laughs> jokes that you like or uh, what whatever it is that um that that is true, so a lot of times people will just go for a walk outside and they'll talk about how beautiful the trees are or what the sky looks like, or the birds that they hear, and it begins to help people to be in the the world that they're actually living in, so, you know people will save up their money and go on this fabulous vacation to some white beach somewhere with blue skies in the ocean and they're absolutely miserable because the voices are talking about um, you know, how much money it cost or how the room isn't the way I hoped it was or whatever it is. Um, but when we are able to be with the beauty and the goodness and the kindness of where we actually are, then you know, we just we just can't go wrong and we can be happy all the time everywhere.
0: So, you know, the the recording and listening is uh, about writing down the things you love and then like listening, you know, to that recordings is, is is just a Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, in the beginning you can, but after a while, you know, and this has been a part of kind of pop psychology for a long time, but the idea that we go from being our own worst enemy, which is when we're listening to that negativity in the head to being our own best friend. So just about everybody uh, wants to be loved unconditionally, and they want somebody who loves them unconditionally no matter what. They want somebody who would listen to them and support them and be on their side around the clock. You know, if you want to talk at 3 a.m. because something's bothering you, you want, you want somebody who loves you unconditionally, who listen to you and that sort of thing, right? So that's what you have in recording and listening because that recorder (laughs) will listen to you uh, all the time. You know, you can talk about, you can say anything, you can admit anything, you can, you know, whatever it is, and that recorder is not going to judge you. But here is the very best part. So so a lot of people know that you, I'm sure you do, you know the experience of you being in a conversation with somebody, and maybe it's a friend uh, who's having kind of a hard time, And they're talking to you about it. And you hear yourself say something that even you know is brilliant, (laughs) right? There's no ego, right? There's no ego involved. You're just kind of, they probably look at you sort of stunned, right? Because they get how brilliant it is. And you look at them sort of stunned because you just heard how brilliant it is. And both of you go, oh my God, that's it, isn't it? Right? Okay. So, that is actually what we're going for in awareness practice because that's your authentic nature. That's the intelligence that animates. That's, you know, if you're a Christian uh, or any theistic religion, then that's God. God is talking. Jesus is talking to you. Okay. Uh, The Buddha is talking to you. Well, not the Buddha's in a different, but anyway, um, that's the, the wisdom, love, and compassion that animates us. And it's always available. Christians call it the still small voice that uh, mystics talk about and that people listen for in prayer okay it's who we are and it's always 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 in quotes talking to us but we don't hear it because we're listening to that nonsense in our head so that is what happens in recording and listening so for instance here's how the exercise would go say you're really upset about something you know you just had a horrible day at work and or your sweetheart just left you or whatever and you're just super upset, okay? So, you pick up your recording device. Most people, of course, now just use their phones because then it's always with you and got your best friend around the clock, right? But you pick up your recording device and you hold it in your right hand. This sounds silly, but it's important. Hold it in your right hand, you turn it on, and you let that guy talk, right? He is completely uncensored, he just talks about everything that's going on with it. if he wants to cry he gets to cry if he wants to cuss he gets to cuss whatever is going on nobody's gonna nobody's gonna stop it until he has nothing left to say He's just done and then you as the person holding the recorder you just sit there for a little bit and and kind of take all that in as as if somebody else had i'm sorry i don't know if you can I live in a fire zone and helicopters are uh, circling all the time. Um, so, uh, uh, is it loud?
0: No, no, it's fine. It's perfect. This is great.
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's really loud where I am. So, um, so, uh, so you, you, you know, the, this, this guy that, you know, he just poured out his whole heart to you. And so you sit there and you take that in a little bit. And then you put the recorder in, the, in your left hand and you play back what he said to you. Again, just as if your best friend um, just said all that to you. And, and you're listening. You're really listening to him. Okay? And then when you finish listening to him, you turn the recorder off and you just sit there again. Just sit there and take it in. And then watch what drops in for you, what occurs to you. That you would like him to know, and you turn the recorder on and you tell him that.
0: Well, that's uh, that's uh, that's really uh, that's really powerful. Beyond powerful. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And when people catch on to that, when they realize that that they have unconditional love available to them. All the time. That's when people really begin to realize, wait a minute, <laughs> that nastiness, that negativity that is in my head. That's not who I am. That That's that's an add-on. That unconditional love, that loving kindness, that's who I am. And we begin to live from that.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think Alice Miller... Uh, called that pro she wrote drama the gifted child she called that voice like the interject almost um that it's just, the, the, the what is it the interject so just basically just like a mass concoction of you know things that you picked up in childhood that like that i guess for lack of a better word the conco-
1: negativity
0: yeah 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 um, oh yeah
1: well and again from an eastern philosophy perspective for eons you know it's karma it's you know, all the, all the nasty stuff. That's why so many people are dealing with stuff and they say, I don't know where this came from. My, my mother and father were actually pretty nice people. You know, I had it, but I've got this horrible, negative, abusive voice in my head. So anyway, we don't have to understand where it came from. We just know that it's there. And then, of course, what I would wish for people is that they know that it, that's not who they are and they don't have to listen to it. It's not a requirement.
0: Um, you uh you'd mentioned What is Zen uh by uh DT Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Uh were there other mm-hmm. books that have impacted your, spi- your spiritual journey?
1: Yes, and the I just had the most fun experience and now I'm not gonna be able to remember where it is, but I I was just invited. a, a fellow has started a new, you know, Goodreads and um I can't remember what the other one that's like Goodreads where uh uh Excerpts from books and stuff like that. Anyway, this fellow just started a new website uh, where he's asking different people what are what are your most influential books, and uh, and I was fortunate enough to be asked to participate in that, and so I just did that not that long ago. Um, so, you know, a lot of these are old tiny because, of course, that's when I was growing up uh, spiritually. You know, with people like Alan Watts and. Again, DT Suzuki and um, Aldous Huxley and uh, folks like that. And I I love religion. I just love religion. As soon as I found out there were saints, I started reading the lives of the saints. And, you know, uh, I, I just love religion. And um, so then it was like, well, oh, and, uh, and Leo Tolstoy, uh, my religion by Leo Tolstoy, I think is just one of the most wonderful things that ever happened. Gandhi, of course. Um, who, who could be spiritual and not love Gandhi. And, um, uh, but then the most recent one is a book called um, A Gentleman from Moscow. Oh. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so when I, when I first started spiritual practice, the, the reason, my reason for, for doing it was I wanted to know if I were ever in a wheelchair or in a concentration camp, I could be all right. I could still be happy. And, um, and that's been my motivation for the whatever decades it's been doing awareness practice. And that's basically what this book is about. It's one of, it, to me, it's one of the most beautiful things. And I think it came out like two or three years ago or something, uh, Amor Tole or something like that is the guy's name who wrote it, um, a gentleman from Moscow. Recommend it highly. Very deeply spiritual book. I don't know if he would ever think of it that way, uh, but boy, it is.
0: Um, I, uh, what, is your, uh, what is your meditation uh, or what is your Zen practice? I should presume, what does your Zen practice can, um, look like on a day-to-day basis?
1: Well, uh, I'm, I'm really lucky. Uh, so let, let me back that up. Um, I have had an ambition all of my life uh, all, all of my adult life, uh, to be in one place for a solid year. Okay. Cause I've traveled a lot in my life. I've, you know, I've traveled all over the world and through most of my, you know, time as a you know a student and teacher of Zen, I've, that's what I've done. I've traveled and led retreats and that sort of thing. And so I, I, I always wanted to just be in one place. Well, with the pandemic, I had, I've had that. Opportunity. I've been in my little hermitage uh, at the monastery uh, for however many months it's been since we, you know, got told to stay home. I stayed home, <laughs> and I've loved it. So my practice is uh, is is quite wonderful because I mean I'm talking to you, right? And so this is this is what I do for a living, right? And so I can do all of that right from here. I can write here. I can I can do my radio show from here. I can. Um, everything. So uh, my whole life at this point is practice. And uh, I I walk a lot because uh, I just love to walk and I love to be in nature and I live in nature. And so it's all practice for me. It's just uh, because, you know, Zen awareness practice is simply being here, Hmm. being in this here now, being present. And so that's that's what I practice. And sometimes it's sitting uh, formally cross-legged. I do yoga uh, because I love yoga. And, uh, sometimes, you know, I'm meditating while I walk, I, uh, the, the one thing at this point in my life that I'm really fortunate about is not needing to have any distractions. So, uh, that, you know, that just gives me a lot of time to be in quiet and
0: and look inward. Um, I'd like to talk to you about the living compassion project. Um, what motivated yeah. you to, uh, And also uh, what it is. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank you for asking about that. Thank you so much. Uh, So I I love St. Francis of Assisi and and have forever. And I often say I'm a big fan of St. Francis, but some people find that sort of thing disrespectful. I don't think he would. But anyway, and so I, over time, have spent a lot of time in Assisi. And uh, at one point, I was there, and my ambition was to start an international peace center. Uh, And uh, because you know, millions of people come through—well, they used to, and probably will again—come through a C.C. because of St. Francis, right? And so I was there, and I was part of an international meditation group. And we we just had people from you know different parts of the world who were in a C.C. and and meditated together. And one of the people there was a young Franciscan friar uh, who was from Zambia. And so we got to know each other. And at one point he was, he, he, he was talking to us about where he's raised. And it's this God awful slum. Uh, just, just, I mean, it's, it's hard for people to picture the kind of place where this guy was, was raised. And he was saved from that by a, a Catholic priest who who recognized his potential and educated him and and that sort of thing and he really wanted to do something for that community his mother was still there his sister uh, two brothers still there and then everybody he grew up with right and uh so he was asking the people in the meditation group and i was the only american and so then he turned to me and he said and you sherry you're the american so you have all the money so would you come and uh, and see what you can do because I'm hoping that you know anyway. And so I said sure. So uh, I went to Zambia and uh, and went to the place. Cantalomba is the name of the swam, and and I, I mean I I'd never seen anything even remotely resembling it. It's a mud huts uh, on a on a cemetery site. And the only only reason the huts are there is because the cemetery hasn't grown out to to that point yet. There's no there's no running water. There's no electricity. There's no employment. There's as some one young chap said, you know, we're just all here slowly starving to death, waiting to die. And um, mm-hmm. so I brought some folks from the monastery over, and uh, and one of the the monks, Jan. Uh, was talking with uh, John's sister, Teresa, and said, so, uh, Jen said, so if you could do something for your community, what would you do? And she said, I'd feed the children. And we looked at each other and said, okay, we we can, we can help with that. And, uh, and that's where it began. Uh, Some of the women volunteered. We supplied the pots and pans and the Uh, the mealy meal and that sort of thing and they started with 20 kids and over the years I think we've been there 16 years now something like that and we feed over a thousand kids a day and um, educate them and uh, they have we have a a group of about 40 uh, primarily women we have three or four men but mostly women who uh, do all of the feeding of them and uh, and that sort of thing and uh, we had a generous donation from some folks and built a beautiful building there. It's probably the nicest building, actually, in Endola, Zambia. And, uh, uh, and they've, just, they've just taken off. Uh, we now have, I think, uh, last year we had our first girls uh, graduate from college. And uh, just two more just got accepted. I just heard yesterday two more were accepted. I think we have like eight or nine now who are in college. Um, we've got started putting the little people into private school because there's no education in Zambia, especially for poor people. So, yeah, we're, we're just beyond our, beyond happy with the whole thing. And, and you know, the way we talk about it at this point is, we, you know, we have two sanghas. We have two families, one, one here in this part of the world. And, of course, you know, our sanghas all over the world. But primarily it's here in the United States. And then the rest is in Zambia
0: um as as I was saying, I could interview you for each of your books, but I could do the same with some of the quotes, and I would like to run some of these by you uh because I mean okay. so, so here's here's the first one uh do something you fear not to conquer fear, not to accomplish a task, but to familiarize yourself with the process with which fear protects itself to just demystify it
1: yeah, yeah, so uh I'll often. Encourage people to consider that ego, that illusion of being separate from life, and fear are the same thing. Fear is how ego controls people. Um ego gets threatened. You know, you're gonna I'm surprised you're able to do the things that you're able to do, right? Interviewing people like me and having these conversations, my God, that's really threatening to ego, right? So uh was it response uh,
0: people. Not to have the interview. Huh? I mean, it was like say it again. Um, the, I I mean, I think it was my ego was the one who was saying not to, not to like have the interview at all, you know, which is like, this is, this is the thing that brings me joy and vitality. But every time I'm like, uh, it's okay if the person isn't
1: Exactly. That's exactly it. And so you keep doing it so that you see how ego does that to you, what that fear is, how it controls you, how it stops you. And that's what, that's what we're going for. It's not, it's not about the content. Right. It's seen because once we see what fear is and we see through it, we're free to do anything. We can do anything we want to do. But as as long as we believe the ego voices and we believe the fear is real, then we have to conquer thing after thing after thing after thing. (laughs) It's tedious and we'll die before we get through it all. But wipe out fear. Good to go.
0: Wow. I mean, I think one, one of the things that I was coming across is just the fear of things that are smaller in nature, you know, <laughs> like not doing some of the smaller things, like just writing a, I think Anne Lamont calls it uh, writing a shitty first draft, for example. You know, it's like, oh, right.
1: Oh, All yeah. right. Ego, ego wants to control people to the point where they never move. If ego could keep you on the couch, Just at home, alone with it, listening to it. Because that ego lives off of our life force. It's not just doing it for the heck of it. It only appears to
0: exist
1: when it is sucking the life force out of a human being. I mean, the proof of that is ego doesn't live in the present. Okay, It only lives in an imaginary future and an imaginary past. So it's constantly trying to get people upset on one side or the other, either upset about the future, upset about the past. There's something wrong. There's something missing. There's, you know, it's that turmoil. And that's what it's feeding off of. We often jokingly compare it to the media, right? Where the, the money, the the stuff comes from upsetting people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The next quote. And I promise I could, I could ask you questions like five. I had like a list of 10, but I will only ask three. (laughs) Uh, So the relentless pursuit of happiness is one definition of serve of suffering. The single minded avoidance of pain is another. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because you can see that they're both coming from ego, right? They're both ego control mechanisms. So, uh, we, we see people who not who aren't just allowing happiness to be there right coming back to i'm sitting here looking at an incredibly beautiful scene out my window right I, I'm a happy human, but I need to have more I need to get i need i need more I need more I need more I need more uh, or oh god no i don't want to face that i don't want to think about that i don't want to Uh, Both of those are protecting the ego and, and it's just, yeah, it's just suffering. It's never going to, it's never going to get anything. uh, So one of our, our favorite sayings is uh, the process is the outcome. Holy cow. And that's what that means. Wow. Well, you just went there on that one, huh?
0: (laughs) That was... You know, there's just things that kind of stop you in tracks. And that was like, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of either or, right? It's like you're supposed to enjoy the process, not the outcome, or it's all about the outcome. And, when, you know, when you mix, them, yep, put them together, it they're, was, the,
1: they're one and the same. Yeah. So, one of our books, I, I don't know if it's the title of it or if it's just what, but, you know, what you practice is what you have. What you do is what you get. You can't do this and hope to get that. If you do this, you're going to get this. Because they're the same thing.
0: That's really yeah. That did. And then here's another one I love. Worry is not preparation.
1: Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you something. I I've kidded uh, all my life that the the thing that my that fits best with my job description is that I I just see life in terms of bumper stickers and T-shirts. Right. And uh, and with our books, you know, we always put titles on our books. So what I tell people is if you don't have time to read the book, hopefully you got it from the title. You know, the the book is just going to be an expansion on what the title was. And that's one of those worry is not preparation. It's not there. If somebody would get that and and just go down that track, just just notice that with what we were just talking about, worrying just simply leads to worrying okay preparation is what leads to preparation wow. but people yeah people just live in anxiety because they really believe that there's it's magical thinking you know if I worry about something enough it won't happen yeah it could still happen
0: right and if it doesn't happen I think sometimes yeah. it's like well see that's proof that worrying worked <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah so. yes oh exactly yeah well, I'll tell you my favorite one um, um my uh, of the you know the the ones that uh that people usually uh go with be kinder to yourself than you think you should be and you will do for the love of others what you would never be willing to do for yourself
0: wow
1: and all-time favorite, the quality of your life is determined by the focus of your attention.
0: It's very powerful. Um, What would you say to your 18-year-old self, Sherry?
1: Hang on. (laughs) Hang on. Stick with it. (laughs) It, it, It's, you know, uh, I was just reading uh, is uh well most people think of him as ramana harshi um and that, i mean that that is his name but that uh, that's not how i refer to him i call him bhagwan because um because that's who i think he is but at any rate um he he, he he was saying the the difficulty is we don't know who we are we think we know who we are but we don't And if we would just find out who we really are, all of our problems would fall away. Our problems only belong to a fiction, to a false idea of ourselves.
0: Well, um, I've really enjoyed and learned a lot. You have so much wisdom. I, you'd mentioned the podcast, Open Air. Um, where can people find you, the, the project, um, and other events? Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, living, livingcompassion.org. That'll, uh, that'll just get a person more information than they probably ever wanted. So that that's livingcompassion.org is uh, the Zen Center and the project in Africa and um, all of those kinds of things. So all the books and on and on and on and on. And I have enjoyed this thoroughly, so I I really thank you. And um, you know, if you ever want to talk again, you know how to get a hold of me.
0: Yeah, we got the process down. So thanks again, Sherry. We have got it now. <laughs> so All right.
1: right. Thank you. Take good care. You too. Bye bye.
0: Huge thank you to Sherry Huber. So many takeaways. I felt like every five minutes my mind was blown away. Among my favorite nuggets, listen to what goes on in the head, not to change it or fix it, just to hear it. Another one is worry is not preparation. Preparation is preparation. And the one that was you know really stirring is you know the, the fact that and something that I give a lot of thought now to is, you know there's an epidemic in Western society of living in the head as opposed to the heart. And, uh, you know, I had events in my personal life that took me closer to the heart. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've been living that lately. So if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps grow the show. Until next time, this is Kawan Saluja, always reminding myself to be growing spiritually.